My subject this afternoon is the testimony of Moses to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's very evident from this portion that has been read to us uh, this afternoon that Moses did most certainly speak of Jesus Christ. That's very clear from those verses towards the end of this uh, chapter, John's Gospel, chapter 5. For example, there, verse 45 and 46, it says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. For he wrote of me. So the Lord Jesus Christ makes it very clear, fundamentally clear, that Moses did indeed write about the Lord Jesus Christ. That he knew of Christ's coming, that he was aware of it, that he believed in it, and also that he foresaw it and uh, foretold it as well. As way back in his times that he was thinking here uh, of uh, Jesus Christ and his coming. This is the word of the Saviour. Uh, with regards to Moses. Now Moses was the great lawgiver in Israel. And the law and the prophets certainly bear witness to Jesus Christ. That great division that there is in the Old Testament scripture. The law referring to those first five books of the Old Testament. And then the prophets. All that continues on afterwards. Both witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not of that school of opinion that says Christ is not in the Old Testament. We don't believe Uh, Those who say that, we believe that Christ and his sufferings and his glory are both in the Old Testament. Uh, Peter tells us that as well uh, over there in in Peter's writings. How those who were writing in Old Testament times searched in to to these things. And they, they searched with regard to two things. The sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So the Lord Jesus tells us here that... Moses did indeed write of of him. We have some other evidence as well in John's Gospel uh, with regards to this matter also. You think of that that occasion when Philip found Nathanael and sought to convince Nathanael that they had indeed found the Messiah. And in John's Gospel chapter 1 and verse 45, this is what Philip said to Nathanael. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So those were Nathaniel, those were Philip's words to Nathaniel. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth. So there's another confirmation as well that Moses did indeed write of Jesus Christ. And when we come to think about uh, Moses' writing of Jesus Christ, it is to be expected that he would write of both his first coming and his second coming. He would write of the sufferings, he would also write of the glory. Both are covered in the writings of Moses, in the testimony of Moses. If we keep in uh, with the title of this uh, series, it's the testimony of Moses to the second coming of Christ. Well, the testimony of Moses is going to cover both. It's going to cover the sufferings of Jesus Christ. It's also going to cover the glory of Jesus Christ. And the sufferings will be uh, connected with his first coming. The glory is going to be connected with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Moses did write of both. And that's what we want to come this afternoon to consider. It's Moses' testimony to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're going to think about this in three different ways as we think of Moses and his testimony. First of all, I want you to consider this. Moses' testimony as a seer points to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Moses' testimony as a seer to the second coming points to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Moses was a seer or a prophet. In old times, the the prophet was called a seer, we are told. Well, Moses was a prophet. In fact, he was a preeminent prophet uh, in the Old Testament and among the Jews. In Deuteronomy 34 and verse 10, it says, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Oh, Moses was a preeminent prophet in his own right. 
And what a statement there is made about him. There arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses was a man who knew God face to face. And what meetings that man had with God, when you think about those occasions, right away back to the time at the burning bush, then at Mount Sinai as well, when he met with the Lord, went up that mount on two different occasions, He was a man who knew God face to face. And when we come to think about him as a a, a seer or as a prophet, we can certainly think about his testimony to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy and to chapter 18. And we're going to think here about some particular verses that Moses uh, records what Moses said on one occasion. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and it's beginning there at verse 15 and it reads the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me unto him ye shall hearken according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly saying let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God neither let me see his great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. So Moses here <coughs> is speaking about a prophet and you'll know that, notice there in verse 18 that it is a prophet with a capital P. There is an emphasis here upon this particular prophet. This is going to be a unique prophet. This is not going to be any ordinary prophet. And there were many prophets that followed on after Moses. When you think of that whole prophetic school, that whole prophetic line of different individuals, Oh, preeminent individuals in their own right, men like Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, and continuing on with all the other prophets, those who have written uh, books of Scripture as well. There was a whole line of prophets. But here Moses is speaking about one particular prophet, one preeminent prophet who was going to come, who was going to be raised up. And here you have this testimony to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. It has an application to his first coming of that, there is no doubt. But the fulfillment of these words has to be on to the, the second coming. Because the very obvious point to notice here is it says that they're going to hearken unto this prophet. Well, we know that they didn't hearken unto Jesus Christ in his first coming. They cried away with him, away with him. We will not have this man to rule over us. They didn't want to listen to him. They didn't want to hear him. So these words most certainly must have an application to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever can be said about his first coming. And there were those who did hear his word. And who did listen to him. And who did obey. But by and large the nation. The nation as an entity all of itself. Didn't listen to what. Jesus of Nazareth had to say. So ultimately these words have to apply to his second coming. These words are ultimately fulfilled with respect to the second coming. So Moses here is is speaking about a preeminent prophet who is going to be raised up in Israel. And there's a number of points that are mentioned here about him. But before we consider that, I want you to be aware as well that there's a five-fold witness to this portion of scripture in the New Testament. There are five occasions when this portion of scripture is quoted with reference to Jesus Christ. The first one is by John the Baptist in, in, uh, well it's their words to John the Baptist in John chapter 1 and verse 21. And it says, they asked him, what then art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Art thou that prophet? And that's a reference to this portion of scripture and this prophet that the Jews were expecting and knew that would come because they were aware of what Deuteronomy 18 had to say. So when they were asking John the Baptist, well, who are you? Where have you come from? What authority is there for for your ministry? And they're wanting to know, are you Elias that has come? And he answers, no. Are you that other prophet? 
John the Baptist says, no, I'm not that prophet either. Because John has come to bear witness to Christ. He's not that prophet at all. And he answers no. And then in John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, in verse 14, we read there, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. So when they witnessed the mighty power of the Lord Jesus Christ that day in feeding the 5,000, this is what the men said. The men said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come. And that is a reference here to this portion of scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 18. The third witness is John chapter 7. It's after the Lord Jesus had spoken those words on the last day of the feast. And in John 7 verse 40, it says, Many of the people therefore, when they heard that this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. This is the prophet. They had listened to the Lord Jesus that day as he called out and called on all who thirst to come to him. Their response is, Of a truth, this is the prophet. And again, they're thinking of these words in Deuteronomy chapter 18. What about Peter's sermon? I would want you to turn that one up. It's Acts chapter 3 because it's a very important portion when we come to uh, consider these words and our understanding of them. It's Acts of the Apostles chapter 3 and we're reading from verse 20. Well, we'll read from verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the time of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. So there's, there's Peter on that occasion. It's the healing of the lame man at the beautiful gate. And as Peter is here speaking and defending what uh, has been done and the, the exhortation goes out, Repent ye therefore. And he begins to explain what it is he's been doing, what it is he has been preaching, and he's speaking of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 20, He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the time of restitution. And there's a reference to the fact that he is ascended up to heaven after his first time here on earth after his resurrection from the dead, after he had been with his uh, disciples those 40 days after his passion, then he ascended up to heaven again. And Peter here is saying that he, he, must, he must be received up into heaven until the times of restitution. And it's in connection with these times of restitution that Peter then brings in this thought about the prophet that Moses spoke of. Because this thought of the restitution of all things, in verse 21, Peter tells us that God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. This thought of the restitution, the time of restoration that is to come for the earth, the time of the removal of the curse from off the earth, that season when God is going to come and he's going to reign on this earth and he's going to remove the curse from off this earth to a great degree, Peter here says the scriptures speak about these things right from the very beginning. And Moses is the first individual here that he mentions. And he quotes this particular portion in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And he says here's where Moses was speaking about this future day. A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up. And as we know those are the words that are here in Deuteronomy chapter 18. So these words then that Moses spoke that day. In Deuteronomy 18, very much point forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We have, we have Peter's confirmation here of it. He's telling us Christ has to be received back into heaven until the time of restitution. And he says all of this has been taught by the prophets. Right from the very beginning. 
right from the time the world began. And Moses is the very first individual that he, he names here as teaching this great truth that there's a day of restitution that is coming for the world. Oh, how glorious a day that will be when we think of these present times in which we live and we see the curse of sin upon the world and all the consequences that come from the curse of sin upon the world. There's coming a day of restitution. There's coming a day of restoration. Praise the Lord. When the curse was going to be lifted from off this world. And Moses spoke about that day. There's one other occasion when this same portion is spoken of. And that's over a few chapters there in the Acts of the Apostles to chapter 7. And it's the preaching of Stephen. Stephen's defense here before his accusers. This man who was the first Christian martyr. And here he is put on trial for his faith and he has to give an answer of the hope that lies within him. And when we come down to (coughs) chapter 7 and verse 37, it says, This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me him shall ye hear. So Stephen makes mention of this portion as well. And he's the fifth of that fivefold witness to this portion of Scripture applying to Jesus Christ. But the key to understanding it here is, as we've been noticing, is Peter's words there in chapter 3. He gives us the context in which we're to understand these words. When, when, are, when is this truth going to be fulfilled? When is this prophet going to appear? When are the people going to listen to him? It's going to be with regards to the time of restitution of all things. That's the time when it's going to appear. That these words will be fulfilled. Now if we come back to Deuteronomy chapter 18 here for a moment. We're told that this prophet is going to be like unto Moses. So there's some things about Moses. That we can think about that are going to be a picture of Jesus Christ. The same thing is going to be seen in the life of Jesus Christ when he comes the second time. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 18, that that is emphasized. In verse 18, we are told, or maybe we should go back a little uh, bit further, because Moses himself in verse 15 uses these words, that he's going to be like unto me. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. And then it's, com- it's confirmed in verse 18 by the Lord himself for the Lord is here speaking and he says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee. So there's going to be a, a comparison here between Moses and Christ. Moses is a, is a picture of Christ, a type of Christ in this regard. Well, we can start off by thinking about Moses as the lawgiver. And doesn't it tell us in that day, the day of restitution of, of all things, Doesn't the word of God have something to say about the law of the Lord? And how the law of the Lord will will, will run? There will be regard for the law of the Lord in that day. For example, in Isaiah 2, those opening verses, It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the Lord, uh, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So when you think of Moses, and when we begin to think about him, we think of him primarily as the lawgiver. He's the lawgiver in Israel. He was the man that the Lord spoke to on the mount and he brought down the tablets of stone on two occasions. He was the lawgiver in Israel. Well, when we think about Moses pointing forward to Jesus Christ and the testimony of Moses to Jesus Christ and his second coming, we're thinking about the day when the law will run again across the earth. And in that day, the law of the Lord will indeed be heard. We live in times when God's law is rejected. That's all too obvious. There's laws that are brought in in our our nation, that overturn the law of God, that blaspheme the name of God. But we thank the Lord there's coming a day when that will change. 
Praise the Lord, there's coming a day when that will change. And as it tells you here in Isaiah 2, there's coming a day for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And we have been reading here with regards to that statement that Moses made in the places where it is referenced about the hearing of the the, the law, of the, the taking heed to it. And that's here given to us in Isaiah chapter 2 where it says that the people will say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. Oh, there's coming a day when there will be a turning to the Lord in great numbers. There will be a heeding of his law and his truth. We live in a day when his truth is trampled in the street. Men care not for the law of God. But what a different day is outlined here in Isaiah chapter 2. And it is connected with this thought that is prominent when we think of what the word of God has to say here about Moses. That Moses is going, this prophet that's going to be raised up is going to be like unto Moses. And Moses was the lawgiver. And there's coming a day when God's law is going to be honoured in this world. Instead of being trampled in the gutter, it's going to be honoured. As we've been reading there in Isaiah chapter 2. What about Moses speaking to Israel on God's behalf? We've already mentioned that verse, Deuteronomy 34, where it says that Moses knew God face to face. Well, isn't it the work of the prophet, the calling of the prophet to speak to men on God's behalf? Jesus Christ is going to come and speak on God's behalf. He's going to speak on God's behalf. This world's going to know that. They're going to know that the Son of God has indeed come and he's speaking on God's behalf. And that's a day that the people of God should rejoice in and look forward to when that indeed comes to pass. But what about Moses as a mediator? Moses as a mediator. You see, if you look here at Deuteronomy 18... And verse 16, it says there, According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. (coughs) That's a reference to that occasion when Israel fled to their tents at Mount Sinai. As the mountain trembled, as God came down upon the mount in his glory, and it trembled, the people trembled themselves, and it says they fled to their tents, and they said to Moses, you go out and speak to us on God's behalf. As for this God, we cannot approach unto him. And that's what is being referenced there in verse 16. That day that that in their history when at Mount Sinai, they fled to their tents, and Moses acted as a go-between. He acted as the mediator between the people and God. Well, isn't it a mediator who's coming? The mediator who's coming. The one who's coming is the Redeemer of Israel. Oh, we're told, we're told that in, in, in the Scriptures, beyond any shadow of a doubt. That's one of the most essential aspects of the, the redemption, the coming of the Lord. It's going to be a, a coming to, to redeem tells us in, for example, in Romans eleven twenty six, So all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and he shall turn away ungodliness from, from Jacob. There will come out of Zion a Deliverer. There's coming a day when Christ is coming, and he's coming as, as the Deliverer. He's coming as the one who's going to turn away on ungodliness. He's going to turn it away from that, that people. Romans 11 is a quotation from Isaiah. Isaiah 59 and verse 20. And it says there, The Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression. And Jacob saith the Lord, The Redeemer shall come to Zion. Well, when we think about Moses, when we think about the testimony of Moses, we think about him being the mediator that day, the go-between that day. He's a type of Christ who's coming as the Redeemer. And the Redeemer is always a go-between. Oh, we need a Redeemer. We need a mediator. And maybe you're listening to this broadcast this, this afternoon and you're, you're not right with God. You've never come to know Jesus Christ. My friend, you need a mediator. You need Christ as your mediator. You need Christ as your Redeemer. He's the one who has to be your go-between. 
between you and God. He, has, he is to be the one who's going to reconcile you unto God. Otherwise, you'll, you'll perish in your sins and be lost forever. You'll be lost forever. You need a mediator. On that day, there will be a hearkening unto the Lord. Before we move on, we'll just think about those words. They're, they're quoted twice in the Old Testament. Isaiah 11, 9, Habakkuk 2, 14. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, that's what Moses is testifying to. That day that's coming. When this prophet will be raised up like unto Moses, the people are going to hearken to him. And we rejoice that there's coming a day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. There's not much knowledge of God across the face of the earth. And it certainly doesn't cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. When you think of the, the depth of some of those seas, no, there's not much knowledge of the Lord across the world. Not today, but there's coming a day when there will be. It will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Such as the testimony of Moses as a prophet and a seer to the second coming of the Lord. The second thing we want to consider is the testimony of Moses through signs to the coming again of the Lord Jesus. We've been thinking about him there as a testimony of the seer. Now we want to think about the testimony through signs because there are signs that are associated with the, the, the ministry of, of Moses when you go back to the beginning the early chapters of the book of Exodus you will find those to be the case for example if you go back to chapter 4 and that time when uh, the Lord appeared to Moses and commissioned him Moses was reluctant to go and he wasn't all that sure that the people would uh, receive and and accept him. And it's told us there, chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. So here is Moses' fear that the, the, the people are not going to receive and accept what he has to say. And if the Lord sends him, him back to uh, the land of Egypt to bring the people out, well, he fears that. The people are not going to accept him. They, they, they weren't keen to accept him before, 40 years early, when he indicated to them that he was there as the deliverer to lead them out. And now he's, he's in exile for 40 years, but the Lord is going to send him back. And there are three signs that are given to Moses. First of all, there is the casting of the rod to the ground that would become a servant. Uh, chapter 4 there of Exodus, verses 2, 3, and 4. The second one is the hand thrust into the bosom, which would become leprous as snow, and then vice versa, verses 6 and 7. That's the second sign. And then the third one is verse 9. It says, And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river, and pour it upon the dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. So here was the third of these signs. The first one was the rod. The second one was the hand thrust into the bosom, becoming leprous and then reversed. And now he's going to take up water. He's going to pour it out and it's going to become blood. In chapter 4 at the end of that chapter, verses 27 to the end, we, f we find Moses performing these signs to Aaron in order to convince Aaron. And then they are shown uh, to the people. Uh, the Aaron goes out to meet uh, Moses and then the two of them come together and they perform the signs. Verse 30 it says, And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So these signs were going to convince the, the people that Moses indeed was sent of the Lord. And that there was deliverance that was coming. Oh, they, they badly needed deliverance. They badly needed deliverance. They were under the heel of the Egyptians. And it mentions there in uh, Exodus 4.31, the word is affliction. In their affliction. That God, they rejoiced that the Lord had looked upon them. In their affliction. So there's these signs that are connected with the life of, of Moses. And then we're, we're all aware of those other signs 
the signs of the plagues, the ten plagues that Moses was instrumental in bringing upon the land of Egypt at God's direction. And how the Lord told him to stretch out his hand, stretch out the rod over the land of Egypt and those plagues came one by one upon the land. So there are a number of plagues, a number of, number of signs that are associated with the ministry of Moses. And those signs of themselves as well point forward to the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to turn over to Revelation chapter 11 and to that portion of scripture that deals with these end time witnesses. Revelation chapter 11. And we want to notice what this portion of scripture has to, to say because there's, there's two end time witnesses here that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 11. And we're told of the signs that are connected with them. And we discover that those signs that Moses performed, or some of them in particular, were actually harbingers of another time, of a future time when similar happenings would take place upon the earth as well. And if you look at verse, at verse 6, well, we better maybe just fill in some of the background. Look at verse 3, first of all. I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore and clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. If any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Now, do you see the obvious connection here between Moses and these two end-time witnesses? It tells us there about the power that they have. They'll have power to shut up heaven that is not going to rain in the days of their prophecy. But then also, they have power over water to turn the, turn the waters into blood and also to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Surely here there's, there's a testimony to Moses there's, there's a, an indirect reference here to Moses. He's not mentioned by name. But when we think about those signs that are very evident in the ministry of Moses, we see that they tie in with the ministry of these end time witnesses. There is some uh, grounds for believing that, that Moses will indeed be one of those end time witnesses, either in person or someone in the spirit and power of Moses. In exactly the same way that the others believe that, the, that Elijah is the second of these individuals that's mentioned here because he has power to shut up heaven, it says. And who was the prophet that, that did that? It was Elijah himself. And we know that there, there are those prophecies, Malachi and the Lord Jesus as well, that tells us that Elias, Elijah, Elias is to come. In fact, Matthew 11 it's interesting to notice there how the Lord says, Elias has come and will yet come. John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elias. And the Lord Jesus said, Elias has come. So whether it's Moses himself in person or whether it's somebody in the power and spirit of Moses, we will leave that with the Lord to reveal to us at, at a future time. But I think it is obvious that there is a connection here between the signs that were found in Moses' ministry and the signs that are to be found in those two end-time witnesses prior to the coming of the Lord. You see, those end-time witnesses are going to fulfill the same ministry as Moses did. Moses went down into Egypt and told Pharaoh, Let my people go, and if you will not let them go, judgment is coming from God. That will be the ministry of those end time witnesses as well. It will be a ministry in power. It will be a ministry of coming judgment upon those who will stand against God and against his people. This, this ministry that, that is recorded here in Revelation 11, these two end time witnesses, it's, it's a ministry to do with coming judgment. It's a warning that judgment is coming. Well, isn't exact, that exactly what Moses did? with regards to his, his ministry there in Egypt when he went back at the command of the Lord. 
It was to tell Pharaoh, let my people go or judgment is coming. And these two end time witnesses have exactly the same ministry and they will exercise it in power. They will exercise it in power. It says in verse 7 that when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ariseth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. The beast is, is Antichrist, the final Antichrist. And he's going to make war with them. Their bodies are going to lie in the street of that great city that is identified as the city of Jerusalem because it's where our Lord was crucified. Can't make any mistake about that. There's going to come a day when these dead bodies will lie in the street of the city of Jerusalem. And the people will rejoice in verse 9. Uh, they'll even send presents one to another and rejoice. Because, very end of verse 10, because these two prophets that have tormented them are dead. But then verse 11, after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. And they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and tenth part of the city fell. Though the ministry of those end time witnesses is to warn of coming judgment, Christ is coming, and He's coming as the judge of the earth. He's coming to judge men and women. And my friend, that's why you need a mediator. We were thinking there a moment or two ago about Moses as a mediator. We need a mediator because there's coming judgment. There's coming a day when Christ is coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. No, do not be among that crowd that day that know not God. Flee to Christ. Find in Him a mediator. Come to know this experience of, of redemption. So the ministry of these two, two witnesses is going to usher in a time of judgment. And when we think about Moses, we think about the signs that are connected with his ministry, his testimony. They point forward to that coming day of judgment. That's a day this world doesn't want to think about. This world doesn't want to think about judgment. This world doesn't want to think about the second coming of Jesus Christ at all. A day of being held to account. A day when God's going to deal with sin and wickedness and ungodliness. They don't want to hear such a thing. But my friend, such a thing is going to happen. Such a thing is going to happen. And when we think of the testimony of Moses, we can see that point emphasized. When we consider the signs that are associated with the ministry of Moses. There's one further area that I want us to consider here. As we think of the testimony of Moses to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is Moses' testimony in song. Moses' testimony in song. That takes us back to the book of Deuteronomy. Again, this time to the end of that book. Because we come upon a song that was taught to the children of Israel. Moses was given this song by uh, the Lord who in turn told him that he was to uh, teach it to the children of Israel. It was to be a witness. And if you turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 19, you will find there reference to this song. Deuteronomy 31 verse 19, it says, Now therefore write ye this song for you and teach it the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. So here was one way in ancient times whereby the truth, God's truth, was often passed on from generation to generation. Especially in the days when there wasn't a written revelation from God. It was taught through song. And here's a song that the Lord gave to Moses. And he said to Moses, now you teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouth. Get them to repeat it. Get them to know it. Get them to become familiar with it. It's going to be a song that they're going to go over many times and think about. And there's certain truths that are going to be found in this song. It's going to be a witness for the Lord. This song is going to have the purpose of being a witness for the Lord. Now you come into chapter 32 and you find the song that was to be taught to the children of Israel. It's really a song that can become 
become known as a, a national song of Israel's history. It, it, con, it contains a foreshadowing of the whole history of the Jewish people. Right from that day when that it was given to Moses, and Moses taught it to them, right down through their history, right until the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. This song covers that whole period of time. We know that to be the case as you, as you work your way through this, this song. It can be divided into six parts. And we're not going to consider all the six parts of it this, this afternoon because we simply don't have the time uh, to do that. But there, there's reference to the judgments that will come upon Israel. For example, at verses 19 to 25. And then the next section, beginning there in verse 26 uh, on to 33, it indicates to us that the Lord will not utterly cast them off. We know that Paul emphasized the same truth in Romans 11, that the Lord will not utterly cast them off. Well, that's taught to us here in this song, verses 26 to, to 33. And then that brings us down to the last part of this, this song, verses 34 down to 43. This is the last section and it's this particular section or, or at least a part of this section that I want us just to, to think about here. As we come to consider the witness of Moses in song to the coming again of Jesus Christ. Because as I say, this song covers their whole history. We know how it's going to work out with God's ancient people. Because the Lord taught it in his word and he taught it away back as early as the days of Moses. And he gave this song to Moses and he said, teach it to the children of Israel. And in that sense it was prophetic. It was a foreshadowing of the events that would happen in their history. It unfolded, their history has unfolded exactly as it is in the song. It still awaits just this last section to be outworked. It just awaits this last section to be outworked. Because that brings us through to those solemn events of those days prior to the coming again of the Lord Jesus. In fact, I just want to bring you to the very last verse of this song. It's verse 43, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 43. It says, Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. Here's the great culmination of God's purpose towards his ancient people. As you come to the end of this song, to the very last section of it, to the very last verse of this song, <coughs> there are some points that I want to draw to your attention You'll notice there that there's going to be a final intervention of God on the behalf of his ancient people. As we've mentioned, God is not finished with his ancient people. And this last verse of this song indicates that to us. It details an intervention of God on their behalf. Do you notice that there? It says that he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. There's going to be one final intervention of God on the behalf of his ancient people. As it tells us in Zechariah 1 and 14, The Lord of hosts is zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. And we're referring there to his ancient people. As this song does as well. God is jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. And there's going to be one final intervention on their behalf. The culmination of this song that Moses taught them. And yes, it covers all of those times when they would forsake the Lord and he would chasten them. But as we've mentioned, he's not going to cast them off forever. He's going to be gracious to them. He's going to remember them. So there's one final intervention that's going to come on their behalf. It tells us as well, that last verse, that there are judgments that will be poured out upon the enemies of God in Israel. It says there he will render vengeance to his adversaries. That thought of vengeance is found in verse 35 as well. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Oh, he is the God of vengeance and recompense. God will recompense his enemies. Rest assured of that. Wherever they may be, whoever they may be, we can rest assured God will recompense his enemies. He is long-suffering. But there will come a day when his vengeance will awake and he will render vengeance 
He will render vengeance. As it tells us here in verse 43. He will avenge the blood of his servants. He's going to deal with those who have dealt ill with his people. He's going to deal ill. He's going to deal with them who have dealt ill with his people. And we know that in that latter time, there is indeed going to be the day of Jacob's trouble. A time of great tribulation. And here's the very last verse of this song, taking us forward to that time. When Christ is going to come, he's going to intervene on the behalf of his ancient people. He's going to pour out judgments upon the enemies of God and upon his, his people. Those who have dealt ill with his people, they're the individuals who are facing judgment. Those are the individuals who are here in mind. When it speaks about the vengeance of God, when it speaks about the recompense of God, he has in mind those who are dealing ill with his servants, with his people. That brings us then to really the last clause of this song. What a wonderful statement it is. And it says, And he will be merciful unto his land and to his people. He will be merciful unto his land and to his, his people. We're reminded of Zechariah 1 and 16. It says, Therefore thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. Well, why would Zechariah say that? Is it not because it's exactly in keeping with what the Lord taught Moses in this song? I'll be merciful unto the land and to the people. Zechariah says, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. Would you find it interesting, my friend, if I said to you that the word merciful there in Deuteronomy 32 verse 43, the word merciful there in the vast majority of times that it appears in our English Bible is translated by the word atonement. 71 times out of 102 that that word appears in the Old Testament. It is translated by the word atonement. That's the idea that is here in this world. The culmination of God's dealing with his ancient people has to do with atonement. It has to do with atonement. You see what we're told here at the end that there's going to be a holy land and a holy people. There's going to be a holy land and a holy people. This is how it's all going to work out in the end. God's final intervention, the culmination of this age, is going to bring about a holy land and a holy people. That's what the Lord says here in this song. He will be merciful. And as I say, the word here is the word atonement. He will provide an atonement. He will apply the atonement to his land and to his people. And we're going to find out that there's going to be a holy land. Zechariah speaks about that as well, the holy land. Well, there's going to be a holy land and there's going to be a holy people. As a result of this final intervention that's going to bring the Lord in judgment upon his enemies and he's going to bring about an application of the atonement to his ancient people. God's future purpose for Israel involves a land as well as a people. We can't get away from that fact here. It involves the land as well as the people. He says this here in his word. He's going to be merciful to the land and to his people. Both of them have the possessive pronoun. It's his land and it's his people. The land of Israel is God's land. And he's going to make it a holy land. The people are his people. He's going to redeem the people. He's going to apply the atonement to a people. And in the land they're going to be a holy people. A holy people in a holy land. Is it any wonder that this verse has that opening line, Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people. It can't be any clearer as to who it is in mind here. Who are his people? They're distinct from the nations of the earth. And as you trace that through the scriptures, there's nobody else in mind here but the Jews. There's nobody else in mind but God's ancient people, the descendants of Abraham through Isaac. There are the nations and God will redeem a people out of the nations as we know. But here he's speaking about the nations and he's also speaking about his people. And he's saying to the nations, rejoice, rejoice with his people. And we know that that is exactly what's going to happen. The nations of the earth will rejoice with his people. When his people are made a holy people and the land is a holy land, then the nations of the earth are going to rejoice. 
When you turn over to Romans chapter 11, and with this we'll, we'll come to a conclusion. Romans chapter 11 is that great chapter about God's purpose towards his ancient people. And the closing verses there of it, beginning at verse 25. I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. I've already quoted verse 26 about the Deliverer or the Redeemer coming to Zion. But if you follow down through those next verses, and I encourage you to read, even read this whole chapter. But it tells us there, verse 28, is concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sakes, but is touching the election, they're beloved for the Father's sake. But is not what that song teaches us? There's going to be a people to whom God will apply the atonement. They're elect. They're elect. Verse 29, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He's not going to go back upon his purpose toward them. He's already stated it, as we've been noticing there in that song. Verse 30, for us... For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also not, now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. And then here's, here's what Paul finishes with. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. When we think about what God's purpose is and how it will be outworked, we must stand and utter those same words, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. How marvelous it is. How marvelous it is. This is the testimony of Moses. That God is going to have a holy land and a holy people in that day. And his ways are past finding out. And may we rejoice. May we be, look, may we be looking forward to that same Saviour. Coming in power and glory for us. As is outlined here in the word of God. Oh, may we know the Redeemer. And may we rejoice in him. And all that he will yet do. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts.